Good morning. I am among family. We're all part of uh, that great family of sons and daughters of God. And in particular, we're all spiritual family, being part of Grace Covenant Church, Chantilly, Sterling, D.C. All of us every Sunday come together to rejoice in God. So it's good to be home. And I mean that. Um, home in the sense of I know many people here. Not everyone, but a few. Some friendships, like J.C. and Rosa, go back over 30 years. Um, listening to Megan, who is that woman? <laughs> She's amazing. Her and David, friends I've known for more than a decade, Marcos and Shakia. Uh, Marcos was a freshman with long hair at uh, Howard University, <laughs> playing football as a quarterback. And... Um, He'd show up and have the scripture memorized. First one on the football team to arrive. Great artist. Married a beautiful woman. Had two great daughters. Moved to Virginia. Still drive to D.C. Said, go to Sterling. (laughs) It's all the same family. It's all the same family. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. And that we get to be with you. Amen. Um, even though, that's the, um, that's just the one word, even though. David used that word in Psalm 23, verse 4. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What did he know? Who did he know? I was reading this and writing it in my journal on Monday. And that was when I sensed that it was not just something for me personally, but something for us as a people. I think when David wrote it, it was not just for him but probably for anybody who would hear it, anybody who would read it. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. How is that possible? How is it possible to walk through the darkest valley of life and not fear? How is that possible? He tells you it's not a mystery. He says, for you are with me. For you are with me. For you are with me. Those five words I'm asking, God, let the truth of you being with me, the truth of you being with us resonate so deep in our bones that it doesn't matter as much what we walk through that it matters most who we walk with. I've spent so much of my life being filled at times with fear, anxiety, discouragement, worry, 
a list too lengthy to enumerate this morning. And I recognize that in those moments, it all hinges upon whether my focus is on what I am walking through or who I am walking with. You know, my daughter, I have four. One of them, um, there's a moment that um, we were all together as a family on a Monday, Rolling Crest Community Center in Maryland. It's a massive wave pool. When you homeschool, you're done by noon. Dad's off on Mondays. You go get Rolling Crest to yourself because all the other kids are not there. So we'd have the entire wave pool to ourselves. And the wave pool worked in this way. You get in the water, it's still, and at some point, the operator would push a button and it would start all the waves moving and they would just get pretty, you know, whip them up pretty good. Well, one of my daughters was in my arms and we were in the water before the wave pool came on. When the button got pushed and the wave pool started and all the waves going, she lost it. She uh, went from enjoying a moment in daddy's arms to Screaming, clawing, her face inflamed with serious concern. She's just pulling and she doesn't know whether to jump out or hold tight. I'm completely unmoved. I realize it's just a wave pool. So I'm trying to get her attention. Sweetheart, it's okay. You're okay. I'm with you. I've got you. For some reason, although she was with me and I'm with her, the sound of the water, the size of the waves were so overwhelming that she was overcome with fear. And it was everything I could do to get her to see, look at me. There was no elevation in my voice. There was no alarm, no concern. I stood in the same place when the waves came on as when they were not on. And I tried to get her to lock eyes with me. It was so hard. She just kept screaming until the wave pool stopped. And she's out of breath, and I had to take her to the side and explain to her, listen, was I okay? Yes. If I'm okay, you're okay. And she went, no, that's not okay. (laughs) And I just realized, how do you get your daughter to understand that you got her? And in this moment, God in heaven winks and said, You know, I've seen you in a few storms. (laughs) You remind me of someone. Oh, yeah, that's it, your daughter. (sighs) When I'm standing there with her, (laughs) she doesn't know we have control over the waves. 
We can stop the waves whenever we want. We can, we're standing in all of three feet of water. That's it. I'm restraining myself from saying her name now the third time. She's a young adult now. They all are. But it's, it's this sense of, even though I was with her, for her in that moment, the waves seemed larger than her father. The, the conditions in which she finds herself seem to be greater than her father's capacity to have control over the situation and manage her life at the same time. And that's where I guess I'm thinking today, she knows I'm her dad, but she doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know. She knows I'm with her, but she doesn't know who's really with her. She doesn't know my ways. She doesn't know I would not subject her to the kind of danger or harm for which I can't care for her. She knows I'm her father. She calls me such, but she is limited in her capacity to understand my nature toward her and my ability to care for her. How well do we know the one who's with us? I'm so glad that there are others who, by their own testimony, have a record to encourage us. I think about people like David, who is the author of Psalm 23, I think about uh, people like Abraham and Sarah who are heroes of the faith. You find their life in Genesis and they're recorded elsewhere in the New Testament but the full account is in Genesis. I think about Joseph. I think about people who before us know what it is to be in a storm, know what it is to be in a dark valley and know what it is to know who is with them. So I want to look at just some examples. We may not get through all of them but I think it's more important that something gets through us than we get through it. So, first example, and I've just mentioned Abraham and Sarah. Uh, There's David and Ziklag, and then there's Joseph in prison, if you will. Uh, These are just three examples. The reason why I mention them is because all of them are going through challenging moments in life. All of them have walked through the darkest valley, but they're chosen this morning because it's not that they went through a challenging moment in their marriage. All marriages do. It's not that David went through a challenging moment in leadership. All leaders do. It's not that Joseph went through a hard time in his employment and ended up in prison. Many people do. It's that all of them recognized who was with them when they were going through. And they all have the testimony. It's not just what you walk through. It's who you walk with. And today it's about walking with God, but it's also about walking with friends as well. Can I say that? Um, I have um, friends who lead me, like Pastor Brett Fuller, who has for 30 years. Taught me how to tie my tie, spiritually speaking. How to tie my shoes, spiritually speaking. I walk with friends who lead with me. J.C. and Rosa Sherrod. Um... We all knew each other when we were single. We were neighbors. They gave us uh, their car. And before that, I was borrowing his car and damaged it. (laughs) And we are still friends. 
I purchased it from him after that. We would sit when we lived at Park Glen, uh, Arlington Mill Run, and he'd come over and we'd play all kinds of games, highly competitive. When JC moved here from North Carolina, then and probably still now, he's five foot, five ten. <laughs> but I remember asking, some of us were all in our 20s at the time, and he was the new guy in our church. We were all single. We were like, hey, you play basketball? I said, a little. We got on the court and he dunked. We are like, oh, it's like that. <laughs> a little. We just all kind of grew up together spiritually, memorizing scripture together, praying together, playing basketball together. It's just what we did. You used to have to call next to play basketball at the cookouts after church. <laughs> then you tried to find five because everybody started getting married. Yeah. Brothers turned in their sneakers for sandals. <clears throat> I kid you not. I kid you not. Hey, man, you plant? Where, where are your shoes? Why are you wearing sandals? And then he'd be smiling at some woman sitting on a blanket eating a sandwich with him like, oh, we lost another one. <laughs> That's the way you thought when you were 20. Now we're married with kids, kids who are married. Yeah. So you got to walk with friends, friends you lead, like Marcos and Kia. The reason why you got to have friends is because I call it the 12th rep. When you work out and you bench weight, I don't care what your bench weight is, there's a number of reps where you go one too many and you realize you can't rack it. God help you if you're by yourself. Because you can't rack it, which means raise it back to the point of origin. You can't do it. You don't have the strength. And you're trying to suspend it so it doesn't come down on your chest and pin you. I've seen too many men and too many women get pinned in life because they were trying to bench life by themselves. But when you're walking through dark valleys and a friend is with you, someone standing at the bench, I get the privilege of training with some of the trainers at the University of Maryland. These are people who are very skilled at their job. They train Division I athletes, and I get to work out with them, and I constantly remind them that I'm not a D1 athlete. They don't care when they train me. They just push me anyway. And there have been times when I've been stuck with the weight over my head, and it's like there's no way I can rack this. I can't do it. And the trainer will lean in. One more. You can do it. One more. Push. Push. And I don't know what it is, but something in his voice does something to my bones. And I rack what I could never do if he wasn't there. That's what friends do for you. Do you walk close enough with somebody who can make sure you can rack the weight in your life? Other times, it's not their voice. They put their hand on it and they tap it. And it's amazing. You're dead. (sighs) (sighs) You can do it. No, I can't. And it starts going down. And they, they won't grab it. They'll just put their hand on it and tap it. 
and it just starts going the other way. I don't understand how that works, but biblically it's called encouragement. It might be the difference between whether you're around tomorrow or not. That's friends. But I'm talking about now what it's like to recognize who's with you, meaning God. Abraham and Sarah, challenging moment in their marriage and family. Anybody have a challenging moment in their marriage and family? Yeah, 27 years of marriage, I've had my fair share. Those moments in marriage where the person you love, like you love them, but you cannot comprehend who they are in a moment in time. I don't understand you right now. Those moments, do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are like, you mean this morning? <laughs> Men and women speak English but not the same language. I'm still studying woman. It's just a lifelong way of learning how to live and understand. And I'm married to an amazing woman. But there are ways about her I don't get. My brain doesn't run. It, it just doesn't go that way. And I, and I just go, okay, God, help me. Early years, you try to fix that. As you mature, you realize it's not broken. And that you were causing problems by trying to fix ones that were not there. Uh, Some are saying amen and others are saying "Mm." (laughs) hmm. Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 21, 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. I know we just read that, but it says the matter distressed Abraham greatly. Have you ever been greatly distressed in a marriage and family moment? I mean greatly distressed. Perplexed, beyond words, beside yourself. God help me. This is a challenging moment in their marriage and family. It's a dark valley. It's the evening of when their son, Isaac, born miraculously, is being celebrated. He's of the age where he's weaned now. He is the very child that God himself promised would be the one through whom the line of Abraham would yield Jesus. Imagine Jesus appearing to Abraham and saying, I'm going to be born through you down the line. That's a brain. And that evening after the party, Sarah says to her husband, Abraham, married a long time because of something she observed at the party. There's something about our wives at parties that see things that we don't. We were like, oh, food was great. Uh, it's great. Like, did you see, see what? When, when did you have time to see all that? <laughs> we just, she saw something. She saw the son of Hagar who was born 
by Hagar, but according to the practice of the time, would be the son of Abraham and Sarah. So this, he had been their son up through his teen years. He's now 14, 15. And she says these words to the man who has taught him how to hunt, taught him how to fish, taught him what it means to be a man. Get rid of him and his mother. Want to talk about a blended family? Sarah, 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 Sarah. Sarah. What did you say? Get rid of him and her. He will have nothing to do in the share of the promise to Isaac. Messed a brother up. You want to talk about marital counseling? You want to talk about separation? You want to talk about divorce? This is where all that leads. This is real. Dark Valley. It distressed him greatly. He probably tried to help her. Look, they can both grow up with just, you know, uh uh-uh. No. No. It distressed him badly. Now, if if the next verse isn't there, it's the end of story. Their marriage is over. This is 14 years they've raised him, and now she's like, get rid of him? I've had to learn how to listen to God speak to me through my wife, even if the form in which it is expressed is not to my liking. Can you hear truth through emotion? Or does emotion set something off in you because of what's lacking in you? Is this, is this, is this, is this reaching far enough? God, the next verse says, but God. If there's no but God, then you're in the valley by yourself. It says, but God said, don't let the matter distress you. Listen to your wife. Listen to her. What kind of man is Abraham that he can actually hear God speaking to him through his wife about a matter that's distressing him? Teach me how to walk through that valley like that. Because I've walked away just like, God, I know you told me to marry her. I'm not questioning that. But I am questioning in this moment the soundness of what she is saying to me. Adam listened to his wife, and it wasn't good. All of a sudden, we want to quote Scripture now. All of a sudden, we can find chapter and verse to hold and maintain the position of our heart. Chapter and verse is to pull your heart toward it, not you to pull the Scripture toward your heart. God didn't just say, listen to your wife. He says, listen to me in her. When Adam listened to his wife, he did not hear me speaking through her. But when Abraham listened to Sarah, he heard me. That's why you can't, you can't reduce this to do this, don't do that. Do this. It's not, it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. We, we want to, okay, if A plus B, then, oh, I got it fixed. I never have to remember anything else. It doesn't work that way. Marriage doesn't work that way. The rule that worked on Monday doesn't work on Tuesday, and I don't know why. <laughs> It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But he, he listened. And as a result, he knew the pleasure years later when Isaac was a young man of walking up to a mountain to offer him up as a sacrifice 
only to have God say, put down your knife, do no harm to the boy. Now I know your heart's mine. And here's what's amazing about walking through the valley. Um, It's about knowing who you're walking with, not just what you're walking through. Abraham knows who he's walking with. The moment that he, a lot of times we know things about God or we know God's acts. We become familiar with what he has done. It's a different thing to know not just what he has done or his acts, but to know how he is, the way he is. That is what's really significant. Knowing who's with you, meaning knowing his nature. Not just trying to figure out what he's going to do, but already knowing his nature. So there's something in you that's quelled like, I mean, I know what he's going to do, but I know his nature. When Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, before he gets up to the mountain, he answers his son by saying, the Lord will provide. Then when they're at the mountaintop, He calls God Jehovah Jireh. It's in all caps. The Lord will provide. It's not just an action. It's his name. It is a way that he is. Abraham begins in walking through these dark valleys to know the way his father is. So that in his storm or in his dark valleys, he can say, I know how you are. I know the way you are. I may have not covered this terrain. I may not know how it's going to end, but I know the way you are. And my trust and confidence has little to do with what I'm walking through and everything to do with who I'm walking with. Whatever you had to walk through, divorce, adultery, whatever you had to walk through, the only question is, who are you walking with? What do you know about them? He said the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, provision, provision. Abraham, I believe, learned that provision is not just what he gives, not just what he does. It's who he is. Provision to see before the way of God, his very nature is to actually see before. See our needs beforehand and meet them in advance. It's the nature of God. You yourself, when you became pregnant and were having a child, something about you was foreseeing the need. So you painted a room. You got a crib. You got clothes, a shower, so that by the time the child shows up, there's no concern. Because you have foreseen their needs and met them in advance. If you're that way, why would we not think he also is? God, teach me how to go through these dark valleys. That's just Abraham and Sarah. We don't have time to go through all the others. Um, I will just look at Joseph. I'll skip David and Ziklag and commend you to go read 1 Samuel chapter 30 on your own because it's about leadership and how God was with him and he found strength in the Lord when everybody was against him. But Joseph in prison, life of Joseph, again, uh, Genesis, great. In... In Genesis 39, 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. That's not really how you see your place of employee going. 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Wait. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He's falsely accused. He's in prison. He has no idea when parole is up. But God's with him in a dark valley. The Lord was with him. You know how you go in prison? Maybe you don't. I don't in, in that sense. Some of us may be. What? But you see writings on the wall when it says somebody was here. The difference is when Joseph is in prison, it doesn't say Jesus was here. It says Jesus is here. That's the difference. He gets out of prison. He's promoted to serving Pharaoh. And then you have this in Genesis 50, 20. His brothers who sold him as a slave, responsible for all the pain that he had to walk through in his life. Their father Jacob's dead, and now they think, you know, Joseph's got a little authority. He could actually uh, avenge himself. Let's just try to assuage any anger he might have. So they go to him, forge a letter from daddy. And here's what Joseph says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God. Those two words are in every valley situation. But God. But God meant it for good. Wait. Wait. That is not what you're thinking when you're in line getting your favorite drink at your favorite coffee shop. That some trouble you're going through, God actually means it for good. Like there's a thought in me that has to be arrested in order to embrace that thought that when I'm going through a storm, that when I'm in a valley, he actually means it for good while somebody else means it for evil. And I have to figure out where my focus is going to be. What you mean or what he means. If I focus on what the enemy means, I miss the point of the storm. But if I focus on him, I'm going to learn something about the way he is. And I figure something else. I won't live long enough to go through enough storms to learn everything there is to know about him that you can only find out in a storm. I haven't had enough storms in my life. Not that I want them, but I haven't had enough to teach me things that go beyond reading the pages of what somebody else wrote in the Bible. To produce the kind of weight in me that causes my words to have an effect when I speak because of what I've been through with him. Coming from a spoken place of humility and gratitude to God. But, but weighted by what he formed in you in the storm that you couldn't have got anywhere else. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Wow, my dream was never about me, Joseph realizes. When he was 17, he was too immature. He had himself at the center of the dream. But he's been processed. He's been processed. The same gift of dreams and the meaning of those dreams and administration, same gift at 17 is there at 40, but he's not the same man at 40, even though he has the same gifts at 40. He's been processed. Now, this will rock your world. Psalm 105, 17 through 19. You know, all that, everything that happened to Joseph, 
You want to see what happened? Verse 17. He, he is God. Everybody just say God. He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Do you think that when they threw him in the pit and then when they pulled him out the pit and then when they sold him for silver and then when he ends up with Potiphar and then when he goes in the prison, do you think he's going, God, thank you for sending me? (laughs) When's the last time you say, look at how God has sent me? (laughs) If it isn't first class... What if God doesn't choose to send you first class? What if he doesn't send you coach? What if he sends you with the luggage underneath? Is he with you in the luggage? He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's the encouragement. You can't stop the storms from coming. You just have to figure out where he is in the storm. My problem is in my trials, I get kid-like. I go sit in the corner and cry and ball up. I want to encourage you to start looking around in your trial to find him. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You're going to exile. Search for me. (laughs) Start looking for God in your trials. Start finding him in places that are dark. Uh... I want to learn this. I think this is how you really grow. It's learning to walk with God in every season of life, including the dark moments, the valley-like moments, and to realize these are moments of transformation. As much as they are moments of agitation, irritation, they are also moments of transformation. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's a violation of your expectation. God, how could you? And he's like, I got you. Why are you screaming? It's just a whirlpool. It's just a whirlpool. I want to pray. Um, As I do, here's one moment of a trial in my life where um, I was probably eight or nine. My dad was murdered. And even before then, my parents separated when I was about three, divorced when I was five. My father didn't have the kind of men in his life that God gave me because I know he loved my mom. I know my mom loved her, but they didn't have people who were in their lives to say, let me explain that marriage is not just a good idea. It's a God idea. Therefore, here's how it works. They didn't have that. So all the issues that happened with a young man growing up without a father, intimately acquainted with them being in my early 20s, walking into a room full of men and not feeling like I'm one of them. Can't find my identity and my insecurity. I lost them somewhere along the line. 
So the image I'm projecting is one that is in pretense. It's not authentic because I don't really know who I am yet. I wish I could go see Lion King with you, one of my favorites. It's Simba. My wife and I were newly married when we went to see Lion King, and we were driving back to the place we were staying. It was a getaway for us that weekend, and she leaned forward, and I turned this way. She sat back up, then she leaned forward and said, Are you crying? Girl, ain't nobody crying. <laughs> nobody crying at an animation movie. <laughs> Simba messed me up. He got scarred. Ah! He got scarred. He lost his dad. He got scarred. You, you, uh, never mind. Some of you are going to be driving home. Oh! He adopted a new way of living. Hakuna Matata. He forgot about Pride Rock and who he was called to be. Anyway, go watch the movie again. Standing at the, the coffin, looking at my father's remains, my grandmother puts her arms around me and she says, you're the man of the house. I was not encouraged when I heard those words. I was filled with fear. How does an eight-year-old become the man of something that he never saw modeled? So you make it up. I said, I will not cry in front of my mom. I will put the trash out. And I'll try to make my voice sound like dad's in moments where I have to be authoritative. Now, I didn't say it like that at eight, but looking back, that's what I was trying to do. Two years ago, sitting at home, God said to me, just an impression, I want to, you've told that story about what your grandmother did, and I've let you preach it for years. I need to correct you now because I want to help you. You always tell the story as if in that storm while you were in the funeral looking around and everyone's weeping and broken and it's a dark valley because the man who's supposed to be your father is dead. You always tell that story without the full perspective. I was there and you didn't see me because you didn't even know how to find me. I'm like, where were you? When your grandmother put her arm around you and said that you were the man of the house, What you did not know at eight years of age is that the reason why your father was murdered because he committed his life to me, refused to sell drugs, and was not allowed to escape the gang he was a part of, so they murdered him. So your your father died honorably, but he did not have the opportunity to transfer his blessing to you. And while you stood over his body, I moved your grandmother to put her arm around you and to speak the words that your father could not. And those words are intended to mark you as who I called you to be. Now live like it. Father, I thank you for these people. Every trial, every storm, every situation that comes, we repent of how could a loving God, why would God, oh, you love us. If you can hold, if I can hold my daughter in a wave pool and be calm, how much more you hold me? You're calm in storms. You sleep through storms. You walk on water in storms. Men are striving, struggling in a boat. We're going to die. Wake up. What, what y'all doing? Shh. Waves, wind, quiet. 
Why are you worried about what you're going through instead of who's with you? I sleep in the boat. I walk on the water. No matter how many storms come, I get the same thing from you. When are you going to start looking at me? Thank God Peter let go of the boat, let go of the oars, let go of everything he had trusted in and said, if it's really you, let me hear your voice. Say something to me that nobody else can say. Tell me to come to you. Ah, Peter, come. I wish I could just see him let go of the boat. The storm didn't stop. Everything went in slow motion. He just stepped over the side, and his foot didn't go under for the first time ever. He pulled the other leg out. I'm sure the other disciples were like, What you doing? What you doing? You can't do that. Yes, I can. I can walk through storms because of who I'm walking with. I'm going to walk through this storm. I'm going to walk through this storm. I'm going to walk through this storm. I'm going to be a storm walker. It's not what I walk through. It's who I walk with. Some of us today have focused so much on what we're walking through that we've missed learning more about who is in the storm. Some of us in the middle of our trials, we haven't looked around to find them. If you're here this morning and say, I'm in trials and I want to confess, I don't look for him in the trial. I look at my pain and make that the focus. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, put your hands down. Other people, truth is you go through storms and Jesus is there, but you've never noticed him because you don't have a relationship with him. But he brought you here today to say, today, today is the day of salvation. If today is a day that you put your trust in God for the first time or you did it so long ago that you forgot and you haven't talked to him much since and you want to begin a relationship with him, raise your hand. I see those hands. I want to pray for that group first. Say these words with me. Jesus, I want to be a storm walker like you. But to do that, I got to have a relationship with you. So today, I let go of trusting in me and self. And I put my trust in you as my Savior and as my Lord so that I walk with you even when there's no storm. Save me. I believe that your death on the cross was for me and your resurrection was for me to make me your own. Thank you for saving me today. I'm yours. Everybody else who raised their hand on the first request, stand on your feet where you are. And just put your hands up. I had this image just before I came up. And I want to pray this over you. Daddy, I thank you for those who are standing. We are those who have, in the dark valleys, either lost sight of you or became overwhelmed by the winds, the waves of the storm, the dark valleys, and we go, where are you? As if you're not in control. As if you would put us in harm's way in a way that would actually be harmful to us. That's not your nature. 
It's not your nature. You harmed yourself before you would harm us. You did so on the cross. Help us to stay with you in the storm. That even if the water goes over our head and we can't breathe, we got to go, well, you know what? He's still with me. I need him more than I need oxygen. Make us that resilient. And may we know you in ways we've never known you through the valleys that you've permitted us to walk. From this day forward, we see the writing on the wall. In every valley, Jesus is here. We'll never ask, where were you? You're here. You're here. Father, heal those who are here. Heal the hearts that are wounded. Heal the hearts that are broken. Heal the bodies that are sick. Bless your people, I pray. Amen.